Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 1 verse 25. If you don't know it, you are probably new here. Make sure you stand up when we welcome first timers because this is like an, more or less an official celebration church text. Uh, if you hear it anywhere else, you probably heard it from us. But I'm just saying. <laughs> Hallelujah. Paul had us in mind when he said this. <laughs> Read it together loud as you can. One, two, go. You ought to do better than that. This is CCIPH, right? Yeah. Read it again. One, two, go. Hallelujah. He says, I'm confident that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Oh my God, this is so powerful. Like every time I share from this, it blesses me afresh. That there is furtherance in the Christian faith. I don't really care how far you've come. There is something better than where you are. And that's the concept of the name of this program. When we say it is deeper, we are talking about something possible. There is a deeper experience in God. Come on, are you with me? A deeper experience is possible. So Paul talks about fordrance in the faith. You can cover distance in your knowledge, in your revelation of God's love, in your discernment, in your demonstration of what is yours in Christ, in your deploying of spiritual gifts. There is more. And we came for more. Is there anybody who is ready for more? Hey, yes, yes, yes. Listen. You might have seen miracles. You might have, listen, you, 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 you might even be a teacher of the word of God, but there is more. There is always more in God. There is a deeper experience. Spiritual growth is possible. Spiritual growth is a command. Spiritual growth is a necessity. Deeper. Are you aware you can visit a pool many times and not know how to swim if you're in that whatsapp group don't be shy just lift your hands if you've visited the pool or you have gone to the beach more than once and you cannot swim raise your hand why wave it to jesus <laughs> you know because there are other things you can do stand by it take selfies put your leg in it make ripples buy barbecue and go home. <laughs> there are other things you can do. And then there are people who can swim, but only in the shallow place. <laughs> only in the shallow place. And they'll be feeling themselves there. You know, just different styles, but in the shallow place. You know, all the techniques, butterflies, stroke, you know, but shallow. 
So the first thing they do when they get to the pool is they ask, where is the shallow? Or if it's not properly inscribed, they want to know where is the shallow place because, you know, they've learned to respect themselves. The same thing applies to the realm of the spirit. There is a shallow end and then there is the deep end. There are greater responsibilities. There are greater burdens. And God is calling you deeper. Did you hear what I said? To a deeper realm of consecration. Deeper level of knowledge, of discernment, of responsibility, of devotional favor, of prayer. Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man. Meaning, you can get stronger. Say loud, amen. amen. The same way you can go to a gym physically and walk your muscles. That can happen to you spiritually. Strengthened with might. By his spirit in your inner man. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you have been rooted and grounded. Can you say rooted? Can you say grounded? Meaning your foundation can be stronger. <laughs> so that when the waves come. When the storm rise, rises. And when the billows roll. You will still be standing. He says I bow my knees. Like I like to say. He prayed many times, but he didn't talk about posture the way he did in this context. So he's trying to suggest to you that what he's praying about is important. Oh my God. I remember years ago when I was still growing, I still am. I wanted to go to the word of God to draw out powerful warfare prayer points, you know, because we had a prayer meeting. And for some reason, I just decided I wanted to use just the New Testament. And I found there was a problem. It is either Paul had not caught the depth of the revelation behind warfare <laughs> as we know it today, or there is something wrong with the way we pray. Just imagine you only prayed the way Paul prayed or the way the early church prayed. Some of you will have to start afresh. Because first and foremost, you know, you're not going to see some assault seven times. You're not going to see, oh, come on. It's like I'm breaking tables. Yeah. I'm hearing, what sound is that? Tables are breaking. Imagine that the content of your prayer must come from the New Testament alone. What will be left for you to pray? You know, I realized that for the church of Ephesus, he prayed for knowledge. In the church of Colossae, he prayed for knowledge. And here also, he prayed for knowledge. See, knowledge must be important. Maybe I have not aligned myself with the priority of God. Listen, it is part of growth. To recognize that someone who is still yet to mature has a poor assessment of needs. Do you understand what I'm saying? So listen, if you don't wake a toddler up and bathe the toddler 
and give the toddler food, none of those things will be done. Because part of the bane of immaturity is that you have a poor assessment of your needs. Now you are glad you are educated, but when you were younger, if they left you, you probably would never go to school. <laughs> you just wanted to play all day. And if they left you to realize that school is important on your own, it might have been too late before you realized. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? So the same applies to the realm of the spirit. Sometimes we don't even know what we need. Our judgment is poor. I have discovered from experience, the average Christian doesn't even know a good sermon. Once you are aspirating very fast, you know, and just throwing words, we like to be confused. If you just slap me with words I've not heard before, you know, and all of that, you know, we, we like words that are just heavy. <laughs> I wanted to give an example, but I'll just leave it. Let me do just a, a quick English class. What is the meaning of bogus? Large? Big? Did I hear large? I heard large now. Do you know what bogus means? False. But, but you see, when we want to communicate... <laughs> I'm, the reason this came to mind is because I have a class, a private class for ministers, and I was teaching them because, you know, there's a man of God who said, because of the bogus nature of God, you know, and I said, <laughs> I was like, oh no, oh no, like, there can't be a worse use of that word, <laughs> you know, and here's the interesting thing, you could have just said, because of the nature of God, but you want to add defects. You understand? In local parlance, we say it is skills that if you see an average Christian, any random Christian, praying passionately, sweating, you know, and all of that, exerting all his energy. If you were to guess what he's praying about, what will you guess he's praying about? No, 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 I want suggestions. A miracle? What? Money? What? <laughs> you know... Gary B. Dago. <laughs> Gary B. Dago, my husband, or something like that. <laughs> Are you really playing that? <laughs> you know, something like that. But now, let's be honest. If you came close and you started hearing him pray, that the eyes of my understanding will be flooded with light, that I would have revelation to know, you know, the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and he's praying and sweating. He's praying it passionately. Man, you just be like, honestly, you will just, if you're not careful, <laughs> you might like that kind of prayer in your head, but some of you will still be surprised. Is it that deep? You know you're growing when God changes your priorities. He changes your priorities. He changes your prayer points. There are some things 
I cannot just order, even if I tried. God, money. I'm not saying if you're not there yet, that's okay. I cannot just do it. And the Lord knows how to catch us. That's why he gave us tongues. <laughs> he gave us tongues. Has it ever happened to you? You came to the prayer place to pray about something. As you were praying in tongues, something else was in your spirit. Has it happened? God knows how to hijack you <laughs> and just shift your priorities. He knows how to do it and he does it often. So here is what I want to tell you by way of introduction. <laughs> yeah, we're still introducing this. I don't know why you came. Maybe you came to check us out. I want to see what the rave is about. Uh, this shouting about celebration church. I'll come check you out. Maybe like Nathaniel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, and then your friend said, come and see. And so you're here. Well, there's a lot to see, I assure you. I said, there's a lot to see. You know, when Jesus saw Nathaniel for the first time, he said, behold, a Jew without a guy, an Israelite with no girl. And he was like, well, do you know me? This is like someone, a first timer who was asking his friend, you told your pastor about me? He said, no. <laughs> I like it when God does that. You know, a friend brought you know, her friend to church on Sunday and, and the friend identifies as an atheist was in church for the first time and halfway through the sermon I said, there is someone seated here I was pointing at her I said, you are battling with atheism so my question to you is, how did I know? I said, happened just on Sunday just on Sunday I said, how did I know? You know, something that happened. We were at the mall years ago, 2016, and we had a watch night service. My wife went to the loo, you know, to use the toilet, and she saw one of the cleaners there. This is a few hours into the new, few minutes into the new year. My wife is like, what are you doing here? Even the worst of sinners are in church. What are you doing here? She said, what, what, what am I going to thank God for? I'm not happy. God is not good to me. Why would you say that? She said, I've been bleeding for, for I, don't know, I don't remember how long she said. I'm not happy. I'm sick. My wife said, you know what? Just come. And so she persuaded her and they were walking in together. She was going to tell me, oh, please pray for the sick today. But I was already preaching. So she was like, ah, well. As they were going about to sit, I said, the Lord, the Lord said there is someone here. You have been bleeding. My wife put her hand on her and said, this man is a man of God. You see, if your wife says you are a man of God, chances are. <laughs> they, they had not yet sat down. I said, the Lord said there is someone here. So I'm here to tell you, God sees you. Nathaniel said, ah, you know me. Jesus said, before you were called, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, 
I saw you. Ha! Do you know how he responded? He said, you are the son of God. You are the son of... You know, so, you know, even if we are not told what that fig tree represented, it must have been something personal, something only the son of God will know. So some historians say that his mom gave birth to him under a fig tree. So some historians say that was a prophecy about his birth. And Jesus said, from the time you were born, I saw you. Ha! He said, you are the son of God. <laughs> In this meeting, you will see the glory of God. Yes. Did you hear what I said? I said, you will see the glory of God. Yes. And then when he said, you are the son of God, Jesus said, oh, that touched you? Because I said, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? He said, you will yet see greater things. Now, listen well. I want to explain what greater things are. He said, you will see angels ascending and descending. Now, when a Jew or an Israelite hears that, their mind immediately goes to Jacob. Because do you remember when Jacob put his head on that stone for a pillow and then he had a night vision and right from where he slept, there was a ladder from the earth touching heaven and angels ascending and descending on that ladder. So when he heard angels ascending and descending, his mind must have gone to that. And you can run off with that revelation teaching on portals, you know, and all those deep things. You know. I don't know why you're laughing. I just... You know, and we, we've had some emphasis. For instance, some even think some places are more anointed than other places that if you pray, you know. Well, I tell you one thing for sure. If the saints pray together, that's a powerful thing. But it's not really about the place. Come on, are you with me? Some people think it's about the time. If you pray at midnight, it has a certain effect. Guess what? In the spirit realm, there is no night or day. So the spirit realm is not influenced by the rotation of the earth. <laughs> that does not mean night prayers are not powerful. Let me tell you why night prayers are powerful. I don't want to enter into that. Night prayers are powerful because you sleep. <laughs> and so the devil sees it as an advantage. It's not about the night. It's about your activity. It's about your consciousness. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the Bible says, whilst men slept, the enemy came. So the conversation for another day. But it's not about the night. He's saying that ladder that Jacob saw was me. I am the bridge between heaven and earth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can go to the Father except by me. I am the access. This is what Paul later explained. That through Christ, we have, we have access to the Father, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He's our access. That's what he was saying. And so now, think about it. Just moments before, Jesus said prophetically something that struck him. Something that nobody knew. And Jesus said, you will see greater things. And the greater thing that Jesus said he will see will be a revelation about salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? But for some of us, 
Miracles are greater. But Jesus said the revelation of the Son is greater. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if someone knows that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the way to the Father, that's a greater revelation than someone giving you a prophetic word. That's what Jesus meant. It's a greater thing that you know that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a greater thing than if someone says, yesterday you ate a bar. How did I know? Do you know me before? Can you tell me, celebrate grace. <laughs> <laughs> you see, those things are very powerful. You know, I'm still shocked every time God does it. You know, there are some names you can guess. But when I went to Akwaibom and I said, I hear in Sikak, you, you, you can't make it up. <laughs> you can't make it up. So, uh, the reason I'm saying that is because people who talk like this, they usually don't flow in gifts. I'm telling you I flow in gifts. Well, but I'm saying you shall see greater things. To see Christ lifted up, seated at the right hand of God, to see his finished work, that's a greater thing. To understand who you are in him. Listen, you can become in the church for donkey years and not understand salvation, not understand who you are. You can be healed and not know what he has done. And that's, it's not a deep program. If, let me tell you something. If you raise all the dead, they will die again. If you raise all the dead, they will die again. But if you present them eternal life, what I'm teaching you is priority. Come on, are you with me? Jesus told that Samaritan woman, this water, if you drink it, you will test again. Don't you understand? Your needs are inexhaustible. If you tick off all the requests on your prayer, prayer list, there will be more. But how about... God gives you something more than gold. Come on, something that cannot perish. A treasure that robbers cannot break in and steal. Come on, are you with me? A treasure in heaven. Something incorruptible. Something undefiled. The spirit of God in the heart of man. We must have time for everything. The church has mastered everything except the major reason for which she exists. We talk about everything else. We talk about politics, which is important. But that's not why we exist. All sorts of programs. Jesse Knight, Suya Knight, Swimming Pool Knight, you know. Everything except Christ. And listen, you can be happy with activity and you are not growing. Not every growth is progress. There is cancerous growth. 
it has to be cut off. You are swelling, but you're not growing. And so, when Nicodemus sees Jesus, Nicodemus realizes he has a lot to learn. You can be a ruler of the Jews and be ignorant. Why am I telling you all this? Just so that you understand there is deeper knowledge. God is calling you deeper. God is calling you. You are too satisfied. You are too content. He's calling you deeper. Are you aware that many people have failed exams not out of ignorance? He just didn't follow the rules. Oh my God, such is the kingdom of God. Some people just don't understand what it's about. In Romans 10, one of the most heart-wrenching texts in the entire Bible, Paul says, my desire to God and prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. He says, for they have a zeal of God. You can be zealous for God and be ignorant. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So they are doing all the hard work. But they focused on the 20 marks. <laughs> zeal for God. I reckon they have a zeal for God. Even Paul recognized it. Some people pray diligently, but the content of their prayer is rubbish. Some people study diligently and study rubbish. Not many people have the humility of the utopian eunuch to say, how can I understand it except someone explains it? Come on, are you with me? So when you understand that it, it's about Christ, where, where Jesus says you search the scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life, but they testify of me. John chapter 5 verse 39. Listen, still on that text about Nathaniel. This is what preempted Nathaniel looking for Jesus. Philip came to him and said, we have found the person of whom Moses spoke in the law. Now you're wondering, Moses spoke about Jesus? Oh yes, he did. And if you don't know that, you have a lot to learn. Your perspective begins to change when you now see that in prophetic language, Jesus or God was telling you something deeper that meets the eye. He was telling you, he was telling you about his salvation plan. That on the first day of creation, we say, God said, let there be light and there was light. But we know that the sun, moon and stars were only made few days after. So what light was it? What light was it? Some of you never thought about that. If it was not the sun, if it was not the moon, it was not the stars, what light was it? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Jesus. So that light in day one was the sovereign declaration of the almighty God declaring in a figure his salvation plan. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why Paul could come and say several centuries after and say he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before him in love. 
how did Paul know that God's salvation plan preceded the creation? How did he know? Because God said, let there be light. And there was light. You come to the seventh day and the Bible says God rested. Listen, it's God we are talking about. You can walk and be tired. God doesn't get tired. When you come to the Exodus, same thing. It was a tale of salvation. The Exodus prefigured salvation. He has translated us from the kingdom of darkness. We were slaves to sin. Just like the Jews were slaves in Egypt. Come on, are you with me? The Red Sea is a picture of baptism. And this is, I, oh my God. When you understand this pattern, a lot of wrong idiosyncrasies, a lot of religious error will be eradicated. Listen, let me tell you something. So, God saved the Jews first before he gave them a law. Never forget that. He said, you saw how I brought you out of Egypt on the wings of eagles. Therefore, if you keep my law. So now, let me tell you this. Was the law for salvation or discipleship? So the law was never given to make people saved. God saved them without conditions. <laughs> Are you with me? He saved them without conditions. And he said, you saw how I brought you on eagle's wings. Therefore, keep my law. So it's consecration. They were saved, brought through the Red Sea, a picture of baptism, you know, brought to Sinai, a picture of consecration and discipleship. That's the order. It's all a salvation story. Someone can consider himself deep. Just like Nicodemus. You are a ruler of the Jews. You know the Torah. You, know, you have memorized it. You know all the laws. By heart. You know what Leviticus says. But you don't know what it represents. <laughs> it's just like, you know, the chemistry you learned in school. Without application. Laugh now, it's true. <laughs> Have you made soap before? Sanitizer, do you know how to make it? <laughs> You're just learning hydrocarbon. Your head is hot. Your brain is sweating. Your brain, no. <laughs> no application. In this part of the world... So you can learn Leviticus. You know, some have turned Bible doctors. You're not allowed to eat this. You're not allowed to eat that. Because in Leviticus, he says this, this, that. You know, they have memorized all of that. And now, let me tell you something. What you eat is the greatest secret of your health. 
So I'm not, I, I don't have, I'm not going to talk about that. I can't talk about everything in one sermon. You know. So I'm not, I'm not talking down on that. But I'm saying there was a deep, deeper purpose. Has it ever occurred to you that in Acts chapter 10, Peter fell into a trance and he saw food. But it was not about food. It, it, it must dawn on you. Open your Bible, Acts chapter 10. First, it's just so many idiosyncratic thoughts, you know, to pull down from this. First and foremost, even the mere fact that he had a dream, you know, of food, and it was not the devil <laughs> trying to kill him. So in the Bible, the one person who dreamt about food, it was God who gave him. I'm not saying, don't run off with that idea, but I'm, for you to just decide conclusively, some people don't understand interpretation of dreams. You cannot just write on stone and say, every time you see this, this is the meaning. No. Sometimes in the Bible, water represented the spirit. Sometimes it represented the word. Sometimes it represented water. So sometimes... You dream of food and it's meaningless. You were just hungry. Listen, do you know it is noteworthy that before Peter fell into that trance, he was hungry and waiting for food. The Bible says he was waiting for food. So God used his situation to talk to him. So that means it's possible to dream of food just because you were hungry. Some dreams are ordinary and meaningless. Some may be of the devil, and then many are of God. So it takes discernment. Do you know, Peter also probably thought it was the devil initially. Why would God ask me to do this, to break the law? He said, no. He, he, he tried to correct. He said, no, Lord. Religion is bad. He, co he corrected God. No, Lord. Religion is very bad. God said, take it. He said, no, Lord. He corrected God. <laughs> and God said, call not what I have cleansed unclean. Listen. Oh, my God. Now, I want you to take me to the verse where he was in Cornelius' house. And he was explaining to Cornelius the dream that he said. He, all right? Now, while Peter doubted in himself what the vision would have... No, 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 no. Take me to where he was in Cornelius. Where he was in Cornelius' house and Cornelius laid prostrate. What verse is that? Quickly, quickly, quickly. All right. What verse, please? All right. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, verse 34, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and walketh righteousness is accepted of him. I'm coming. Let's look at verse 26. Peter took him up saying, Stand up, I am a man also myself. And he talked with him and went in and 
verse 28. This is where I'm looking for. He said unto them, You know how it is unlawful, it's an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into the house of another nation. But God, everybody read that together, I want to go. But God has shown me, hold on. God showed him how? In the dream, right? In the trance. God has shown me that I should not call. Did he say any animal? So, what you are seeing here is interpretation of dreams. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. That means when he saw in the trance unclean animals, God was using animals to teach him about association. Come on, are you with me? So listen, many people don't understand. Theologians put it this way. That the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So the New Testament is a commentary on the Old, explaining things that were not clear. So that means all those Leviticus animals you were seeing were in a figure telling about associations. It wasn't about animals. Are you listening to this? It wasn't about animals. And Peter understood that. God has told me not to call any man unclean. It, it was about men, not animals. It wasn't about food. Praise the Lord. So now, when you come to the Passover feast, and then you realize it was about Christ. I have a sermon on it so that you, so you can go and digest in detail. But of all the weeks of the year, Jesus died on the exact week of the Passover. Are you listening to me? The exact week. So when you begin to look at the Passover and how it happened, they were in Goshen. And God had already told them, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt tomorrow. And these same people who have kept you in bondage, they're going to drive you out with so much urgency. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to keep a feast. Number one, nobody who is not a Jew is allowed to keep feast with you. If anybody is going to keep that feast, they must first, as proselytes, be added to your company. So many, there's a lot of significance. Now, you are going to slaughter a lamb and put the blood on your lintel. And in the house, you are then going to keep feasts. What does the Passover represent? The blood on the lintel represents salvation. Come on, are you with me? And the feasts represent our association in Christ. That's what it represents. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit. We have something in common. Because you believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. We have fellowship. That's what it represented. So it really 
wasn't categorically about eating, even though we may eat because we have something in common. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now, in 1 Corinthians 5, something happens. There was a man who claimed to be a Christian, but he was behaving otherwise. Not only was he in sin, he was open, openly in sin. So he was dating his father's wife. And it was public knowledge. They would even come to church together. You know. And Paul said, What? Now, when you see Paul's communication, you now know what the Passover is really about. First and foremost, he calls Christ our Passover. But then this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. He says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven living at the whole lump? Listen, when the Passover prescription was being made, when God was telling them how to do the Passover, he said, make sure that there is no yeast in what you are making. Come on, are you with me? So the bread must be unleavened. But now Paul is explaining unleavened not with food, but with association. So he's saying, you're allowing this guy in the company of other people we will negatively influence them. So now, so yeast wasn't really about food, but was about negative influence. He says, don't you know that a little leaven living at the whole lump, verse 7, purge therefore that old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. So that means the Passover really wasn't about eating or about drinking. You can summarize it this way. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Some of you might be hearing this for the first time. I don't want to breeze past. So I just want to touch one or two more things so that you see. <laughs> verse 8. Everybody read verse 8. Together, one to go. Therefore, let us keep feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of what? So listen. So meaning, he's not talking about bread. He's talking about behavior. So, oh my God. The type of bread you know is maybe soft agege bread. Sliced bread. You know, but now, he's letting you know that all those things were just symbols. So he says, with the leaven of malice. Malice is a bread. <laughs> Come on, are you getting it? He's just using figure of speech. So that's what the unleavened bread or the leavened bread represented. So the same way the Jews left out yeast from their food, leave out... Oh, this is why before the Lord's Supper... Jesus first excused Judas. That's why. That's why. It was after Judas left, he now lifted it up and said, this is my body. So he was explaining, 
this Passover you have been celebrating since is actually about me. That's what he did. He wasn't actually instituting a new ordinance. <laughs> you are not ready for that. But anyway, it says, neither the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of what? Sincerity and truth. So because this guy is behaving this way, this leavened bread will spread and spoil many other people. Kick him out. So that we can have proper communion, not necessarily eating, but of sincerity and truth. Come on, are you getting this? Now, I said all that to say this. So now, in all the Jewish feasts, you see Jesus. In the creation of the world, you see Jesus. In the Old Testament, you see Jesus. Even in the stories of patriarchs, you see Jesus. Some of the symbolisms are unmistakable and I don't want to go into that. And there are two very powerful things to learn about salvation when it comes to the Passover. First and foremost... God said, when I see the blood, atombre sapaya, balatombre seteki bakatombre setis. Listen. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Let me tell you something. The Jews were God's people. But they were not going to be spared because they were Jews. The only thing that was going to save them was the blood. Are you listening to this? See, God warned them. He said, even if you are a Jew, if you don't put the blood on your lintel, listen, that angel of death doesn't know race. He doesn't know any other thing. The only thing he recognizes is the blood. And this is a powerful teaching on salvation. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, he didn't say, when I see your prayer, I will pass over. He didn't say, when I see your decent dressing, as important as that is, I will pass over. Because, you see, dressing is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is. He didn't say, when I see your fasting schedule, I will pass over. The only thing that will make that angel pass over is the blood. Nothing else qualifies you. You will never be good enough. Jesus himself told the story of two people who came to the temple and one was bragging. I said, I thank you, oh Father, that I'm, I'm not like this unrighteous people. I fast twice a week. I give alms. I do all this. You know, and the other person just said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. You know, and that person was justified rather than him. Because I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how disciplined you think you are. And every one of us must be. But you see, your discipline, the best of it is but a filthy rag before him. You still will never qualify. There is no other language that death understands but the blood. No other language. Nothing else. Not your religion, not your calisthenics, not your Christianese. The only thing death recognizes and respects is the blood. We need to understand this. 
none of us will make heaven because we were disciplined. And this is not a call to be unserious. I'm just telling you, we must give God all the glory. Listen, even the Jews would have died without the blood. And let, can I tell you something? When God was telling them, if an Egyptian heard it, if an Egyptian heard it and got out a lamb and slaughtered it and put the lamb on the lintel, he would have been spared. Because what happened that night was not the favoritism of God. It was a picture of salvation. The only thing that spared anybody was the blood. Not that they were Jews. They were not spared because they were Jews. They were spared by the blood. And that's the picture of salvation. No other name. No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ. I put my faith in his work and what he did he said that I did he died and rose and so did I I am who he says I see him seated I see him seated my debt is paid this is my Sabbath this is my rest and by his blood I have forgiveness I am do you know the chorus sing my eyes my eyes see Jesus High and lifted up My eyes see Jesus See I have revelation See I have revelation See I see my place I see my place In his work In his work and what he did, he said that I did. He died and rose. So did I. I, I am. Thank you, Jesus. Now, as I round off. You know what else is very powerful about that? The Passover didn't happen after the deliverance. It happened before. Do you know how mesmerizing that is? That you have a group of Israelites, all right, held hostage by the world power at the time. Think about it logically. How do you want to escape Egypt? Logically. Do you want to get an army? Do you want to start training and combat? There is no logical way that the Israelites could have escaped. None! And when God wanted to help them, he didn't say, mm, let's just try. If you wanted to escape 
at best it will be an effort no absolute guarantee but not only did God guarantee them he didn't only guarantee their escape he said celebrate in advance he said by this time tomorrow you will be out of here they will drive you out he said so start eating and rejoicing so they threw a party the night before the deliverance so now let me tell you how significant that is you know, some people run away from salvation because they think their past is too grave. Or their habits are too insurmountable. That, ah, they think if God is saving people and they say, oh, what are you battling with? Lying. Ah, that one is simple. But when another person comes and says, I have done this, they say, ha! That one is hard though. But when you understand the principle of the Sabbath, that right in Egypt, they started partying ahead. That means God knew there was no way under heaven. The Israelites were not coming out. And that's how he looks over the sinner and brags over whatever mountain, whatever hardness of heart they're battling with. It doesn't matter how strong the habit is. God is stronger. God is stronger. He can change your life. Oh, I've seen Jesus change lives. I've seen Jesus. People way worse than you. Worse than you. Read the Bible well. Open Hebrews 11. Open, open John chapter 5. Even if you had a failed marriage, that woman had five. Five failed marriages. Even if you, 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 you fornicated, have you, had an, have, you, have you been a prostitute before? Even if you've been a prostitute before, Jesus has changed lives. And I, and I really thank God that unlike today where we hide our past, the Bible could tell us it was that Mary from whom eight demons were cast out. Now, her life is transformed. She's in ministry. She's serving with Jesus. Listen. When Jesus is done with you, you will need to remind people where you are coming from for them to believe it. You will need to remind them. One of our most trusted sons in Lagos, he told me, he said, his first service in church, he was high. He had smoked ego that Sunday morning. So he only came, he was looking for a babe. And the sermon hit him. The Bible defines the word of God as a hammer. Hey, it can break. It doesn't matter how hard. It doesn't matter. Someone came to me after the service. My own relative. He said, I want you to explain to me. I don't know what happened. As you were preaching, something came on me. I started crying. I couldn't stop it. What is that? He's <laughs> stronger. He says, my people shall be willing in the day of his power. You'll be willing. He says, no one will teach his neighbor, know the Lord. He says, all shall know me from the least to the greatest. I'm telling you, you that they beg to come to church, you will preach the gospel. You, you will be shocked. You will be shocked. The habits will die. You will never forget this weekend all your life. You will never. You will never. You will never. 
like that woman in John chapter 4 you will run with his story come and see him he has changed my life he has changed my life you will preach him listen she wasn't preaching him him in a strange country she preached him to her people who knew her story that means she really changed come on are you with me because your love is deeper and your grace is wider and your name is higher blotting all my sins I stand the new man empowered to live for I am living I am standing hey Sing your love is deeper, your love is deeper, your grace is wide, and your name is Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809 996 7000 blessings.